success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and they rarely talk about it because that's not what creates success. Join us here where we'll chat with serial entrepreneurs, both men and women, and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship. We'll talk about the obstacles we faced and how to overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is She's Invincible. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on She's Invincible. And we are so excited to bring this invincible one to you today. Gina Badenoff, sole photographer, consultant, and entrepreneur, passionate to reduce inequality. 17 years ago, she decided to change the narrative around disability by teaching photography to blind people. She also works with leaders to create inclusive culture, communication, and marketing strategies to increase innovation and sustainability. Gina's work for the last 17 years has shifted people's perspective, inviting them to see beyond labels, outsmarting their bias, connecting with open hearts and minds. Oh my gosh, Gina, I'm so excited to see you today and to have this conversation with you. Welcome to She's Invincible. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here and to share the story and the journey we're going. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Well, oh my gosh, let's do this. Let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today and what makes you invincible? Well, I think when I look back on it, and I do exercise that uh, going back in my journey, no, because I think sometimes we we forget uh, where we come from, and it's important. And I think it really started. I'm a I'm a, a mix of cultures. No, my mom is Mexican, my dad is British and European, also like Austrian. So I am a whole mix. I call myself now a magical mix, and and that has had a huge influence on me. If I'm re- realistic about it. I was brought up in Mexico, which I love my country, and there's a lot of contrast there, but always exposed to Europe. Um, and that also influenced the way I see things. So since I was a kid, I was curious about others' lives, what was going on. Um, like when I was eight, I would go and say to my parents, I want to go and see why people who are in prison are there. What did they do? Why did they kill or why did they steal? Or I just couldn't believe that they would do it just for the sake of it. You know? So I think that just showed that at a very early age, I was curious about others' story, um, especially when it, was, it went wrong, you know? the differences, the poor, the rich. I, I was always kind of um, curious about that. I was exposed to going to communities in Mexico. My mom is a psychologist. I would go with her and I would see what she was doing in the communities. I would see my dad also involved in different charities. So I think I saw it at home. I would say that's something that has really influenced me in my journey. Um, I'm curious and creative, so I would go and find ways to do things. And definitely by being in, in the different worlds, I was moving now. Um, I think I just wanted to make a difference. Um, when I was 18, I lost a very dear friend of mine, Annie, in a car accident. And that for me was a key moment of realizing that I had to make a difference in this life, that I, if I was to die tomorrow, I would leave a legacy. 
So I would say that 18 was a key moment for me. Um, I wasn't clear how I would do it. I just knew I, I had to leave a legacy. And then by being at boarding school in the UK, I explored the art and I realized that photography was my tool to explore the world and to change it. And as time went by, I did a gap year in Nepal. I was exposed to communities. I was teaching and I realized that that's what I wanted to do to teach, to give the tool of photography as a way to change narratives. And I wanted to go and explore the world on how to reduce inequality. And that's really been my passion all this journey. How can I reduce inequality to go for opportunity, not to solve the people? Uh, I always believe we don't choose where we come from uh, and how we're, where we're born, I mean. We choose what we do with our lives. And that's where I am passionate. How do we change the system so we see people from what they've done? Um, and I think that's part of what makes me invincible also is that I'm very passionate to see things that we do have. So I would say my attitude, you know, attitude towards life. I'm someone who tends to see the difficulties as opportunities of things that don't happen to you, but they come into your life to keep growing, to keep discovering, to learn from them. So I don't know. I think that the attitude is something I have, that passion and that ability to see, like to pause and see what do I have? What can I do with that? And then I always say, we already have the no, let's go for the yes. So then I kind of map out my system. I'm like, who can I ask for help? Like with who can I go and collaborate? No. So I always, I already have no worst case scenario. I'm back here, but thankfully a lot of the times I reach out, I get a yes, I get a, how can I help? And, and I think that's what has taken me where I am today. I, I didn't get here on my own. So family, my support system, and all these amazing people that communities I've worked with uh, are my strength, are my reason of being. And um, and definitely I wouldn't be here without all of them. So, Oh my gosh, I love what you said. I already have a no. How can I get a yes? Oh my gosh, it's so true. And that just simplifies things, right? Because we, it's true, right? Where we sit, we already have all the no's we need. <laughs> but I love that. I love your approach to that. I absolutely love that. Oh my gosh. And you've done so many amazing things. So I'm going to try to keep focused here on what we're talking about. But oh my gosh, I'm excited to dive into all of this. So today we're actually talking about inclusive narrative. So, and I think you just really uh, paved the way for that in just telling us like how you even ended up finding a passion for these things. And so that it, I love that it came so early on in your age. Not many young kids are thinking about how did criminals get to be criminals and go to jail and things like that. So I, I just love that curious mind. And what I think that, you know, I've seen from you so far is that you have gone into adulthood with that same curious mind and that is serving the world so well and in such a big way so i'm super excited to just jump in let's talk about first of all why is this so important to the world uh and into communities this inclusive narrative what what is this all about why is it so important I think I would say what is key is to remind ourselves and others that a label does not define a person. And let's start from the labels we put ourselves or we allow others to put to ourselves. And then all the labels we put to our, towards others. No, And I think that comes from a natural behavior from if we go into how we have biases, we, there's a way to protect ourselves. Um, 
but it's also I think a responsibility to to pause and be aware of why am I judging from this perspective? No, what what can I do different? Where can I move to see see it from a different perspective? So when we start to be curious and willing to pause, I think it's a, a, a good combination because I feel the moment you pause and you're willing to be curious to explore others' journey and stories, then you can see beyond the label. Uh, a lot of the work I've done is with people who are from unprivileged backgrounds or no, like uh, people with disabilities, but also like from different social economical background or gender. It depends, no, over different labels. Again, we're talking about, and I always just say, let's talk about humanity and human beings who want a dignified life. They want to be respected and be able to belong in, an, in society. That's really what everyone is asking. And that's for me, a human need. Uh, and that's why I think the inclusive narrative is so important because if we increase representation in our communication and we stop using so many labels, then we can start, or, or even if we are aware of the labels, if we can then see beyond them by being curious and ask questions and their story, and that will give me context. And then I can find what we do have in common because a label and the narrative that it comes sometimes very biased, very stereotypical, very narrow is limiting the ability for us to connect and and to really see what is possible, what we do have in common. So that's why I really think that inclusive narrative is a bridge to connect each other and to start seeing the differences as an opportunity to create space, to connect and learn from others and with others about their journeys, their beliefs, their values, their interests. But if we keep having such a narrow uh, view of our communication and marketing, we're limiting ourselves really to, to connect and, and to see people's potential. Mm, so I love what you're saying too. Like, I feel like as you're talking about these labels, we're like the human label maker, right? Like we, we punch in what we want the label to say. And it's like those old label makers where it would spit out the tape and you'd stick it on a piece of paper or something. And it's like, we do that to ourselves, which is really bad. And even worse, we do to others. So I feel like um, I love what you're saying here. Just awareness of like, stop doing that because, you know, we're all here and all of our dreams are connected and we're all supposed mm -hmm. to together do something great in the world. But if we can't find what our similarities are, then how will we ever be as powerful as we could be, you know, together? Mm -hmm. And because we just separate and you can see that. You see that everywhere in companies, in businesses. Uh, there, a lot of different groups are very clicky where people just divide. And, you know, you can walk into a room and you can literally feel that energy. And I mm -hmm. love what you're talking about here because it really makes you pause to say, wait a minute, that person could be more like me than less like me, right? Maybe they have this one thing. Um, and then there's also the topic of like, um, disabilities that are invisible, mm -hmm. right? And so I would love to talk a little bit about that. But before we do, I would love to ask you in your opinion and in your experience as well, what is causing this? Why is it that we are like naturally these label makers and we're at black, you know, we're not um, wired so much to dig in deep like you do that? <laughs> I think if we go back to the essence of being a human being, you know, 
we have uh, biases as a way to protect ourselves. Also, you know, there's this mechanism where we attract what we know, we reject what we don't, and sometimes it serves to protect us. No, and and I think it, we have to honor that and to give that space of, of when there's something there that, that it becomes dangerous or and you're aware of that. Uh, I just think that we need to just know that it's not the norm. So that requires the pausing and awareness of saying we are wired in that way. We are we have created all these stereotypes and labels to navigate the system much faster. This filter it's a way to filter a lot of information that we're getting through sight. No, it's a, the faster sense and we're bombarded. And lately, even more when we think all the, what we get from the phones and it's just all this information, we're bombarded. So it's, the brains are like trying to you know, filter all the information at that level. So it is human. And I'm here to say, embrace that and honor it and respect it because that's what is part of us. But also pause, use the, the other side of the brain, the right side, and be willing to just breathe and be aware of saying, where are these labels coming from? Is it real? Why am I reacting like that? No, I, I'm feeling these. What's going on? And I've had that experience. No, I've had people which would come from other backgrounds and my immediate response. I had a friend from Iran and I was brought up in Mexico and I heard all the war of Iran and Iraq, no, and Iraq in that moment. And so whenever I thought about it, it was a negative. You know, for me, it was like a survival, like, whoa, this is war, no? And when I met my friend from Iran here in the UK, I could see the moment I met her, I was like protecting myself, but I, I was aware that was a bias of the narrative where, and the beliefs I had from where I grew up and the story I got from the media. And I paused and I was curious and I said, okay, I'm going to challenge myself. And I invited her for a coffee and said, let's get to know each other more about the culture. And then she's now one of my best friends because we saw what we had in common. It wasn't about if I was Iranian, Mexican, British, you know, it was about the person who shared the same interest, who happened to be from some nationality. But again, it's, it, it's about curiosity and respect and empathy, you know, really kind of go and connect and understand others' journey. And then we can start filtering in a more holistic way rather than just labeling and assuming. You know, I always say assumption is the worst thing we can do. Let's ask, let's just be aware no, of what's going on. Mm. So I think that will help. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, it's like when you talk about this, this story in particular, it makes me think about of our uniqueness, right? So we're all uh, here. We're all unique. And, and we kind of pride ourselves on the fact that there's no one else in this world like us. And yet we meet all these people who aren't like us and we struggle to get to know them. Like, it's so backwards. How can it be that that this is, you know, one side of it is like, oh, I'm the only one who can be like me. Nobody else can be me or do what I'm meant to do. And at the same time, there's somebody next to us and we're like, but you're not like us. Ah, it's just so <laughs> contradictory. So let's go yeah. to, and I mean, we're talking about so many things here. Like uh, I love to also going back to humanity, right? Like that mm -hmm. at the end, that's the core and it should be the beginning, right? It's exactly. like, we're all human. We all are here for a purpose. Our purposes could very well be connected to each other's. Um, and boy, would it be so much easier if we became more open to learning more about people. And I would love in a second for you to share about some of the ways that we can open ourselves up more. And I love what you just shared about like just meeting someone for coffee and like getting to know each other. Um, but there's probably some icebreakers that you've seen in all of your work. So I'm excited to hear more about that. Um, but mm -hmm. let's talk about some of these 
invisible um, disabilities, because I think we need to kind of put a spotlight on that as well, because most Mm -hmm. times when we talk about disability, we're talking about, you know, um, people that are deaf or people that are blind or people that are in a wheelchair, they can't walk or they, you know, things like maybe can't speak. Uh, But there's so many walking, talking humans that are also suffering, right? Or at least Mm -hmm. having to deal with this type of thing. So what what do you say about that? So you're right. I think the the, the invisible disability, why why it's becoming a topic, which is good, that more people are talking about it because for a long time it was hidden. There was a big stigma around it. There was a lot of fear and still in some countries it is a, a thing, no? Uh, but I think that what is important is that once we're aware that invisible disabilities are there, how do we create a culture and a system that is safe enough for people to be able to open and share? Because that's, I think, part of the problem. A lot of the times a person that has an invisible disability don't feel they can really be themselves and say what they have because of the environment you know, or the reaction. Um, so I think something that we have to work more and more, and that's another topic that it has a huge influence on my on, on my work and what I think in my journey, is I think for a long time we we've tried to fit in and not to belong, and people who have an invisible disability may struggle to open themselves and just belong and say this is what I have, no, or and this is what I need, and I think that's what happens that. When we get to the point where we have to openly and proactively say, I have this that is not openly obvious for anyone. So that means I need that. How many times we're afraid of asking for help and say what we need, right? I agree. And Yeah, and I think for me is how do we change the narrative about around what it means to ask for help or to say, what do you need? Because it's taken me a while also to learn for uh, for a long time. I would struggle to say, I need this, no? And it was one moment where a great coach of mine said, what do you love of helping others, no? That have something that they need. And I would say, all oh, the journey, I'm more of a giver, no? So I would say, I love this. And the moment when this happens and they're excited and you see the transformation. And after I share that story, she said to me, don't you think it's selfish not letting others help you and go through that same journey? And that really helped me shift of how it felt, the, the asking for help and say what I need. Because before I felt I was putting a burden into someone when I was asking for help or say what I need to thrive and succeed and do what I need and know, whatever, it depends anyone. And the moment she told me that, then in my own mindset, it changed. And now I can ask for help and say what I need, not by saying I'm putting a burden, actually I'm giving you the opportunity to do something I love doing. And together, we're going to be able to create something or to deliver a better work because I can openly say it. So I think there's that moment of seeing things differently and say, actually, it, it is a responsibility if I have the invisible disability to be able to share it and ask for what I need because it's not obvious. And it's also a responsibility for society and the culture we were living in to be more aware that there may be a lot of people out there that they need to feel safe to ask for the support or to share their, what where, where they are, no, what they need or the journey they are. I'm through. so happy so, you said that because that was my next thing was 
you know, how can we be better at creating safe space for people Mm -hmm. to be able to do that? I think they don't because they don't feel safe. And I love that you said that because you were already starting to answer that question. So, so as, you know, entrepreneurs, as leaders, as business owners, as big corporations, HR departments, how do we create a safe space for these people so they do feel safe coming in? So I think it comes back to an inclusive narrative and, and what it comes back to having more representation. What I mean is when we have more diversity in the room, let's put it that way, in the cultures we are, we're allowing for the differences to, sh- to be present, no? in a positive way of saying we, want, we are aware that there's many paths of white, many needs, many no? uh, ways of, of being and living. So one thing is, I would say, how do you increase diversity to, so you can bring different ways of living and different needs no? in, into the room, let's put it that way. And that's kind of a natural thing that that will start happening. No, people will start kind of sharing and connecting. But also, that's the other thing. How can you enable the space where people can share their cultures and their needs? And their, so, it's, I always say storytelling. Storytelling is a bridge to connect us, to find what we have in common, to see that again, see ourselves beyond the label. If, as an organization, you can create spaces where people could share their backgrounds, their interests, their needs. Their, those that's a constant thing it's like these coffee moments no or a yes. human library that i call it sometimes where you just share a bit of the stories and that it, it increases human connection is that like a constellation what you're doing is connecting so they start shining and shining and then you're part of the whole constellation you're not isolated and and that's why i always say storytelling is a huge enabler for a safe space because that's where we can start connecting. When we have context, then we have we can develop empathy. We can be more, uh, you know, compassionate, more respectful, and both towards ourselves and towards others. Not only towards others, because it's not about being patronizing. It's about connection as human beings. You have your story. I have my story. Let's listen to each other, and then we can start to connect and really belong, rather than just trying to fit in, you know, and and not feeling safe. I love what you just said about patronizing. Oh my gosh, because that is, I, you are just dropping mic, mic drops here. Maybe that is a thing where, and I sometimes will feel that way that I want to make sure that I'm never that way. Um, you know, and sometimes we can do that in, in an effort to make sure we're not being that way. We could end up that way, right? So- Yes. Yeah. And that, like, as you said, not just for them, but for yourself, too, so that it isn't all about them. And I think that's so important um, is that it's the, we're equal. Right. We might not have the same things, but we're equal in some way. We're still always side by side. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. Any tips around that? Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell us some more. <laughs> I think, well, I think what you say on equal, I think that's a very important uh, thing to remind ourselves. I would say we're equal as human beings with our needs, our beliefs, our emotions. So if we can go to that level of equality, I think that's what I was saying before about humanity. I think we've we've got lost a little bit in the conversation, polarizing. And, and I, I say that, and maybe a lot of people won't like what I'm going to say. So I say it personally from my own journey as a, and a, as a consultant on diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
I think we are in a moment where it's a bit risky where the narrative is going because it's becoming polarized what it means in my belief to talk about equality. I think we need to talk much more about dignity, you know, about empathy, about integrity, respect. I, for me, those are the ingredients that really will help us to, to be together in an equal level as human beings. And I feel we're, we're getting lost in the labels in, in one group and the other. And that and instead of talking more about us, it's about the other, you know, the, this and the other. It's like, a, I have to move you for this to come in. And, and I would like more to see how we are starting to, you know, I, I don't know how you would say, like thread together. Yes, like a weave. Yeah, a weave, exactly. It's That's like a weave, yeah. Like weave in the conversation. So equality as human beings happens. We are not perfect. We're, we're beautifully imperfect human beings. <laughs> if we can see that beauty, we can connect, right? And we yes. can start doing that movement. Uh, and that I also say is a bit like a dance. Uh, but I, I love how you said, you know, how you start um, yeah, putting together and Yes, weaving, and, we, and you weave it. Yes, <laughs> it's like weaving something. I love that. This is so good. So tell us about your passion for photography. So I so <laughs> love this. And I know it has really been uh, the thing that led you to where you are spending a lot of your time now. And uh, mm -hmm. just, yeah, share with us a little bit about that and how you've made that I love work. <laughs> yeah, I need to split up. I, I know love you love it. it. Yeah, I think photography is my best friend. Like, I mean, honestly, in different stages in my life, it's been uh, my friend that has come with me in my journey, in my path, has helped me be present. I think what I love about photography is, uh, one, it's it helps me be present, see things from a different perspective, and it allows me to connect. I feel photography is a language. Um, it doesn't matter. You know, I've been traveling to different countries that I don't speak the language and through a photograph, I can connect. No, I remember I used to work uh, in my early 20s in a travel magazine and I went with a Maasai and, uh, and I visited this community and I didn't speak their language. They didn't speak English. And I had my cameras and I remember I had my big Hasselblad and I put it on the trackboard and I gave the cameras to some of the Maasai, you know, and I, they went around and I was taking photo documenting everything. And I still remember when they look through the Hasselblad that it looks the other side, the image is it's from the other side. So it's upside down kind of thing. And they were looking to, and they were just laughing, like what is going on here? They, they couldn't really understand. No. And I was just seeing all that interaction. And I love that. And I do a lot of participatory photography because I think that's photography is that bridge, you know, and that language that I, you can connect. So they were there taking photos. And I said, if you take a good photo, I'll publish it in the magazine and send you the magazine. No? And so they were all excited. And actually, at the end, we did publish one of the photos because what happened is they had an, a, the essence in their photograph. They were connecting with their colleagues, with their friends and taking really nice photos. I was a foreigner documenting from another perspective. And it was really nice because at the end, one of the Maasai was talking to the translator and said to him, say thank you no he, he just wanted to say thank you because you cannot imagine how many tourists have come here to take photos of us and it's the first time we've been able to see what they were seeing behind the camera mm. and that really stayed with me and it was like this is why i do what i do you know photography can connect us it's a way to show and to relate and and I love that and i've done that a few times in my journey where i give the camera to others i'm always curious of you share your perspective, I'll give mine. But who am I to tell your story from my own journey? 
from my own way of seeing things. Sure. Now let's complement it with yours. So photography for me is that no, is that excuse to connect, to perceive differently, to move. And, and yeah, and traveling with your camera, you're never alone. <laughs> so it's nice. <laughs> I, I love photography and I have never taken, I say this and I need to just say this for the last time that I've always wanted to take a class and I have not yet done that. And I need to put that at the top of my list. Uh, and it just reminds I me. I can help you with some tips. <laughs> yes, I have like 44,000 photos in my iPhone I, and wow. I need to move them. But they're, they're, I take pictures of everything and I love it because I feel like I don't do it so that I remember because those things are imprinted in my heart and my mind and my soul, but I do it so I can share with other people like the joy and the memories and the experiences that I can bring to other people that they may never get in their lifetime. So to be able to tell a story and then bring a story to life through these photographs to me is so important. And then also capturing the of the people, right? Like I've taken so many photos of so many people that I absolutely love and to, to see them and look at them and share them and see them using them again, just warms my heart Lovely. so much. So I love that you're doing that. And, <laughs> and I, I love, love, sorry, I was just going to say on that one, because I love what you say about sharing. And I think that's such an important one. Photography allow us to share what you saw. It's amazing. We can go to the same place and we're going to photograph the place in different ways. So it's like I share your perspective. You know, you share my, we share the different perspectives. And I think that's lovely. That's what I say also about connection and language is that photography is a way to share what you saw that I didn't see and make visible, invisible in a way, no? Which yes. I really like. And I mean, listen, when we read books, right? Like kids' books, there's are they're illustrated. There's pictures to help create the scene, right? And help them to yeah. understand more about the story. And the, I love photography for that reason. And I've had so many people say, put your camera away. Put, and I'm like, no, you can't stop me. Yeah. <laughs> because, I love that. Yes, I love it. And it, it helps me to illustrate stories that I'll tell forever and uh, and share. So, oh my gosh. So let's talk a little bit about what you have done with this passion for photography. You've, you've mm -hmm. taught other people. Let's go there. So with that passion of, of photography, um, I really, and my curiosity and a bit of that, um, yeah, playfulness, I would say of going and exploring. And I had, I was very curious. Um, I went to an exhibition called Dialogue in the Dark that's around the world. And it was in Mexico. And it was just one week before I was going to come to the UK to study a master's in image and communication. And when I was in that exhibition, I was guided into a dark room, imagining I would go into the supermarket and I would cross roads and I would get on a boat and all these different experiences. And I was fascinating just to see how I could really perceive what was going on. I understood. I was enjoying myself. I couldn't see anything, but I... I I was aware of what was going on. So when I came out from the exhibition, I said, I went back home. And then I told to my parents, I know what I want to do. And they say, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to teach photography to blind people. And they just looked at me and they were like, oh my God, like, are you into something? Like, what? What is that? I couldn't believe it. It was like, this is just madness. Like, what is going on? And um, I said, no, it makes sense because I just went to this exhibition. And through the whole journey, I had images in my mind. So blind people, they won't be able to see it, but they will be able to produce them because they perceive. And then it's about sharing. 
as we were just saying, then it's about sharing what they perceive through the image. No? So it makes yeah. sense. For me, it made sense. For sure. the people around me thought I was crazy completely. They were like, what's going on with you? You, you, you really don't know what's going on. And, um, and through, when I was here in the UK doing my master's in image and communication, I uh, did all the research of how I could approach the image through the senses and went back to Mexico and did the first photography uh, workshop for blind people. And blind people, most of them, they also challenged me and said, the reason why we're here is just to prove that this does not make sense. Like, this, this is not possible. And I was like, well, we live in the possible and the incredible comes true. So let's go for it. And that's uh, what I love we all that. <laughs> Believe <laughs> in the impossible and the incredible comes true. Oh my gosh. And that's what's been my journey, honestly. Like, and they've taught me so much. We started doing the sensory photography workshop. I've learned from them so much. They realized that by focusing in what they did have, they could do what sounded impossible. So a blind person, they don't see, but they perceive. They listen, they touch, they smell, they have their imagination, their thoughts, their feelings. And they're able to take a photo by using all the other senses. And then the camera becomes their voice and is a way to connect with the sighted world that is full of images. So they become part of the conversation. And actually, at one point, they did come to me, some people, sighted people, and said, I think it's, it's really selfish and it's not even nice that you're doing that no? because they must suffer a lot by not being able to see their photo, which I thought it was a, a really interesting way to see, see things. And I, I feel sometimes we do that. We just focus in the end result and we forget what amazing journey we have or processes we leave. And, and that's where a lot of it. It has a value. No, I think a lot of the time we're just focusing in the end result. But in this case, I heard this person. I was like, you're right. Let me ask them because that's not the purpose of this. And I asked the students, I was like, do you think this is cruel? Like, and it doesn't make sense because you don't get to see the end result because I see a lot of other benefits, but you tell me. And I remember that they came back and said, cruel would be not letting us express what we see through other senses and that we are part of this. You know, because that's the, they also use the language of seeing. So they say that's a cruelty, assuming that we don't understand what's going on and not giving us a chance to communicate and express and share what we perceive. And that for me was like, okay, we carry on and we'll just go and show how this is done. And it's been amazing because I've done workshops around the world and I all the time I'm amazed. It doesn't matter the culture, the context, the images that come up are amazing. The process, a journey that they go through, it's all about what you do have. So imagine for any human being, if we were focusing constantly in what I have and how I make the most of that, then magic happens. Blind people in the process is what about what you do have. I never treat them from the lack of what they didn't. So I couldn't care if they see a little bit, they didn't see anything. If they were blind from birth, what I needed were the other senses and what they wanted to say. So I could see the transformation they went through. It was about self-esteem. It was about feeling that they were worth something. And it was very important. It was a reminder for them that their identity was not the disability. And for their families and society, it was the same call. It was like, this is not what defines a person. See them beyond the disability and see yourself beyond the disability to really connect. So I think that's the power of sensory blind photography is that it really changes the whole perspective about the lack of towards the potential. You know? And I think for me, that's, that's a, 
what's so magical and amazing about it. It, I, it just blows my mind. So I, <laughs> I have a hard time wrapping my head around this, but I, I definitely want to really explore that more. I think that's just amazing. And so now, uh, you know, I know that you are working here. You have a um, charity that you work with. So do you want to share a little bit about that and tell us more about those darkness days? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Side of Emotion is a charity in Spanish. is Ojos Que Sienten. And, and the website is like that. You can find us in, in the website, ojosquesienten.org. And um, and yeah, I think this this organization has been going on for 17 years and, and we're determined to keep going. And we are based in Mexico, but we do work around the world. So if anyone is interested in knowing more about blind photography, we do some sensory dinners in the dark. That is part of, of what made our model sustainable and a way to give employment to visually impaired people, to blind people. Um, and we do also concerts in the dark and workshops for corporates, you know, and all this is to create employment for blind people, to give resources for the organization and to keep creating awareness of the ability, the potential, and then just shifting. Sometimes one gets to be the leader and the other one, the follower, you know, and I think that's also a good reminder that we're doing that with our organization. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. So walk us through a dinner in the dark. <laughs> So I would say if you imagine, just close your eyes and really imagine a place that is in complete darkness, you won't be able to even see your hand. And the moment you walk into the darkness is a moment to let go and trust and just go for it. You know, that's really a, a, a great reminder of just letting go and trusting. And you take you to your table. Once you sat, you're sat down on your table, uh, you're, you start getting to know the, the people around the table so um it's really fascinating because there if you don't speak you do not exist so people will introduce themselves share their stories sometimes they start describing themselves it's very every or every dinner is different no uh but it's a moment to communicate in a more human way i would say it's a level it's a way to level the behavior because there you could have a homeless person next to a prince, next to a, an entrepreneur, and it never, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter your titles. It's about human beings sharing a meal in darkness and listening to each other from the heart also. You, know, you open a, a different way of, of seeing it. We, we say it's an invitation to see with your soul and with your heart and put to rest a little bit your sight. Uh, it's a way to listen to each other and to your own needs and how you perceive. And then suddenly, as you're having your dinner and enjoying and imagining, sometimes they use their hands because it's much easier to understand what you're eating and the textures. And when you grab your glass, you know, you're more careful that you won't fall. And, and the weight, of if it has a lot of water, no, the weight can tell you that. Um, so it's much more awareness and being mindful. And then we don't tell you when we do turn on the lights. Um, and that moment for me is also very powerful. And that's what makes the difference from the dinners we do, that the dinners that others uh, that, that are done in other countries. Um, because for me, turning on the lights is a moment where we remind you about the biases, about the labels, about the importance of outsmarting all that, all those beliefs, all those biases that we have. Because when we turn on the lights, the biases will kick in. But it's a bit too late because we've been having a conversation. We've connected. 
And, and I always share this story. I like that the story when we did it in Davos at the World Economic Forum uh, with great leaders from around the world. We did three dinners, which we were very excited. And in one of them, at the end, when the lights went on, these two men came to me and said, thank you very much. It's been one of the most powerful experiences that we've ever seen, like, had. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a high one. If we're talking to you, I'm where I am, no? But uh, and I said, but tell me more, why? And they were like, well, you know, from Palestine and I'm from Israel. And we would never share a meal if we knew that. And you just remind us that it doesn't matter where we come from, that we had actually lots in common. And, and I think that's really what I love about these sensory dinners, that it's about what we can have in common, how we can connect beyond how you look, the social class, your role, your religion, your culture. I think sometimes we, we take that into account, into a point that it becomes a barrier rather than a way to connect and learn from each other, no? Uh, so, see, yeah, these dinners have been going on for 17 years. Again, we've been doing them around the world. And it's an amazing journey also because every dinner, the guides tell us, no, the guides who are visually impaired or blind from birth or from different uh, situations, they say, no, what I love about this experience is that I remind myself that I am able person, you know, I can do so much, but also in the dark, the leader becomes a follower and the follower, the leader. So that role changes. And I think it's a reminder as a human being, the importance of changing those roles, you know, in your life. Um, so every experience, the adrenaline goes up with the team. They, a lot of them get to travel. So that's also an extra, you know, that they really enjoy the traveling. And saying, you know, I can get to show myself beyond the label of disability. And I think that's really powerful because we created a space where we all share uh, from potential, you know, from stories, from what we're doing rather than limitations. Yes. And so it is really powerful. Oh, my gosh. OK, so let's break this down. So in these <laughs> dinners in the dark. So the the people that are um, the the people that are having the dinner that are eating. They are not mm -hmm. blind, but they're totally in the dark as if they were blind. So let's talk about with, with the workers, right? Because uh -huh. this just blows my mind. So, <laughs> so there's people cooking the meals. There's people putting the food on the plate. There's people bringing the plates. The servers are bringing the plates to these people in the dark. And those people are blind. Yes. The only the chef know the, the cook. The, the kitchen, we work with a local uh, team. Okay. We do have in our community of uh, blind people in Mexico with whom we work. We do have people who do, you know, um, that cook and do a lot of pastries and stuff. But in this case, in the dinners, no, the chef and the, like, let's say when it comes to food, it's done with the local chef, the local staff in the kitchen. Where it happens is the change, the batute is passed from, from where the plate is ready. Then it, it's our team that takes over and that's, where the team is visually impaired and blind people uh, who lead the whole the whole experience. And um, it is a great work also with the chef because we invite the chef to play with texture, to forget about how it looks because it doesn't matter. No one is going to see it. So focusing the essence, the flavors. The, so we've enjoyed that journey also with the chefs because it's a great experience for them to play with different ingredients to give a different experience. No, we say they get to touch things and the sound or the smell. And so it's a, uh, a nice experience, a collaboration. Uh, but one, when it comes to running the whole process of serving the food, 
picking up the, the, no, the place and change and serving the wine and everything is done by blind people. It's a, an employment, dignified employment that they're just showing. They're in their world. They, we haven't changed anything for them. No, I, I remember in one dinner when the lights went on, one of the guides, Pedro, he said to his table, welcome to your world. You know, and that was really like, I remember one of the, the people that were having the dinner, he came to me and said, wow, when Pedro said that, I was like, wow, that was strong, you know, like, welcome to your world. And, and he said, it just made me realize how lucky I am that this was just a few hours, but for him, that was his life. That is his life, no? Yeah. So I think it's um, a moment also to just be reflective. Uh, I, I want to say this dinner's intention is not about come and feel how a blind person would because that's no way we would do that like it's just actually come and live a different experience where sight which is the fastest senses put it to rest and explore uh, no with all the other senses and connect with your leaders who happen to be blind and of course you will be reflective about it but we would never dare to say this is how you feel it's right it's an opportunity to connect differently Right. Oh, my gosh. And the lessons learned from that. Right. And that really yeah. takes people back to humanity. Right. Because that again, that like they get to see what that looks like. And as you say, like have more empathy. Right. Or uh, dignity. Uh, and it's just an integrity. Right. So it just okay. I think we can be better people. We show up better when we understand more. And I think this is a really good understanding of that mm -hmm. disability. So. This is so amazing. So, okay. So let's tell our listeners, how can they like, um, with these dinners in the dark, can big companies like, um, host them themselves? Do you do private dinners? Is it a certain place, certain time where people could sign up and yes. come? I know I want to go. <laughs> yeah, of course. Just exactly. Get in touch and we will make it happen. So, um, yeah, basically we have done dinners around the world um, in different countries. So it's been for events, for instance, in, in leadership, we've done a lot um, in different events. We did in Portugal, in Davos, in London. In the, so we've been in different, in different parts now in Panama. Um, so we have done private events. They can contact us and we will make it happen. It depends. We work with them and see what they want to achieve and where it would be. So uh, we do have, ma the main team is in Mexico, but I do have some, some, a smaller team in the UK and in the US, we've done it also. So when we, we make it happen, because then we work with local organizations when possible. So it's a way also to have an impact locally. And um, that's one way we do private events in Mexico. We do it once a month, open to the audience to go and you know, get their, their tickets. Uh, but when it comes to other countries, it's private event. It's the company call us and say, we want this for our team. Or we, or someone said, I want this for a birthday and they did a private event and another person in the UK, they were like for that board member. So it really, it's a very powerful uh, experience to level the place that I was saying, to really connect as a team. They, we, they've asked us sometime when there's merging companies that they need to kind of connect from a different level. Um, here, it's more about, again, values, interests, what we have in common going through an experience that we're all uncomfortable and vulnerable, how we support each other, how we listen to each other. So we also, when the lights go on, we will process the information of the learnings according to the objective. No, So we, we do kind of give that twist uh, when it's a private event and, and help 
people just be aware of things that sometimes are talked about, no? When you're going through changes, merges, uh, lack of work of team, here we, we then, uh, yeah, Kate, like, focus that, no? Um, the message. And it is really powerful because, as I say, there's so many learnings that um, if, if we can just kind of be aware of, it can help to outsmart biases. Again, now uh, there's a lot of learning. So yes, basically they can contact us I, and then we will make this happen. No, we, we hear out their needs, how many people. We've done events from 15 people to 150, 200 people. So, I mean, uh, we don't recommend it bigger. We did the ones I remember for HSBC that we asked for them. They did a 500 um, oh. people. That was a workshop in the dark. And with Unilever, we did another one also. Like they were like big events, but they were workshops in the dark. Which the difference from the dinner is you don't have you won't eat, uh, but you walk in complete darkness. The they're in smaller groups, and the, each group is facilitated by one of the guides who is blind, and we work around different objectives that they have to have. No, uh, so yeah, it is possible. That is amazing. And I have one more question about that. Do you share the menu with them before they're served, or or do they don't know no. what they're going to eat, and you just bring the food? Yeah, we just make sure when you register, we do ask for allergies, um, for sure. So we will have also if anyone is allergic or anyone is vegetarian or a special food requirements, we will take those in consideration and work with the chef to be able to create the, the right not dish. But we won't let you know other than that. Um, when the lights go on, sometimes the chef will come out and tell you what you ate and we can share and you can see there what was it. But Part of the whole experience, like I've had people who come and say, wow, the chicken was delicious. And I was like, no, you didn't eat chicken. You ate duck. No. And they're like, no, I don't eat duck generally. I just don't like the texture. I'm like, would you just ate duck? Right. <laughs> and like, but wow. So then I do like duck. I was like, yeah, I think you do because you just ate duck. Right? <laughs> so, and it's funny how sometimes we don't even, the different of taste, no vegetables, things that, that you don't even know. And when you touch it, then you know, oh, this is a carrot. But sometimes you just eat it and, you're not so aware until you touch broccoli or, you know, asparagus. Or, so touch does become, I always say to people, no one is watching user hands, you know, it's a great time to explore. A friend of mine here, I remember in London once he said, it was just so surreal that I was talking to a total stranger, a very serious conversation. And I had in one hand part of the meat and the other one, like a vegetable. And I was like, if the lights were on, this would be very weird. <laughs> <laughs> So a lot of my, like things happen. I've had a lot of introverts who feel really comfortable in the dark, uh, extroverts who actually don't feel so comfortable in the dark. And they explore, they were like, oh, I was surprised. I usually am very good at connecting. And in the dark, I was more like reflective and enjoying just listening. I was like, oh, sometimes we just need to listen, right? Um, so we've had all different stories. Right? Uh, and, and I say every dinner has been special because of the people who come to the din dinner. No, honestly, like it's a collaboration of, of the success for the experience. That is amazing. What an amazing, amazing story and experience that you're providing. And, you know, let's talk real quick, too, about what how does this affect those servers like and the people in the blind community that are a part of this? And I think it goes back to what you said earlier about, you know, asking people for help and including other people because it helps them have more experience, too. So tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about the feedback that you get in the way that this uh, enhances the life or, um, you know, just the, the work in the, the people that are serving. 
So I think, as as we were saying, you know, one thing is they get a chance to have a dignified job, paid job, no? So that for them is a reason to get out of their houses and to get ready, uh, no, for to lead the, the event. Uh, as I say, sometimes even travel to make this happen. So it's a uh, uh, they they've said it. No, this is I feel dignified, and I think we sometimes forget how important it is to feel dignified. So it comes to that. It's obviously a resource. Like we saw it in COVID times that we had to stop the event. Sadly, we then did events online, but it wasn't the same number of people we could impact it. So we, we saw it. That had a huge impact in the community. And we realized it had become an important income. So when it comes to income, we've had social economic mobility. That, that was very powerful. And for them, they see it. No? And also the other part I, is definitely... In both cases, perception. I mean, a lot of the time, people from the community who are blind, they would have assumptions of sighted people not treating them properly or assuming or, you know, and these having these events, they realize that there's all kinds of people out there. No, there's not the good ones and the bad ones or the poor or the poor me or the victims, but it was just about people connecting and interacting. So those um, that has had an impact of less of them and uh, it's more of an us right instead of dividing so more of these being included and feeling that they're just one more member of society connecting with another member of society Uh, so that's been definitely i would say for them and the other very important aspect is the family the family starts seeing them not as a burden but as a productive independent member of society and that's part of the the impact we've seen with the work we do is that a lot of time uh, the beneficiaries uh, people from the blind community, they would have codependent relationships with their family. So most of the case when they had someone with a, a disability at home, at least one more was not being productive or one member. No? So as soon as we break that, the other member can carry on uh, the sighted person, no, let's say, carry on and then the blind person becomes independent and productive member of society. And that's huge. Uh, that is really important in the ecosystem because a lot of the time it comes from a really nice and humble and human and loving place where the family relatives one really want to protect their loved ones who have the disability. Sure. But a lot of the times the person with a disability, they just want to be the person living a life. So being able to help them see that that disability doesn't define them, that they're human beings with a lot of capabilities and let's discover them and let them thrive. It's very important. So these events have definitely helped them show in their families that they're a person that can be productive, independent members of society and they don't have to be overprotected. And then off comes the label, right? Off comes yeah. the label, off comes the victim, and, and this, these these victorious people emerging. I love this so much, Gina. Oh, what yeah. a great conversation <laughs> and great work you're doing in the world. You're an angel. Thanks. Well, no, let's do this. You. Let's tell our <laughs> listeners one place where they can find you, where they can find you and get more information about all of this. Well, I'm, I, I think the easiest is if you follow in Instagram, I'm Gina Badenov. Um, my name, my surname, very easy. And I would be happy to follow up from there and guide you in the direction of whatever the interest is if towards the charity, towards the consultancy work, towards my own journey. Um, but I think that's easiest if you just look for me in Instagram, Gina Badenov. Perfect. And guys, as you're listening, if you just click the show notes will have all the links in there to everything that Gina does. So you can easily reach out to her. 
uh, and talk to her, keep this conversation going. Uh, I, I listen, I'm thinking maybe I need to plan one of these private dinners in the dark and invite some of my best friends. Uh, so yeah. you'll be hearing more from me as well. But what, however Love she it. can serve you or teach you or support you, you guys just click the links and reach out to Gina for sure. What an amazing conversation. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And just before we get to the good stuff, right? The good, the bad and the ugly. I have this great announcement for you. We are starting the Pod Power Hour, which is a virtual event that's going to happen on Wednesdays at noon Eastern. And so if you've ever thought about having a podcast, if you have questions, if you are a podcaster and you want to come and meet other podcasters and learn what's new, what's happening, tips and tricks to be better at this amazing passion of podcasting that you have, we would love for you to join us. We're going to have experts there that are going to be sharing their genius. It's going to be amazing. So, and if you're a host and you want to come meet some amazing uh, people that could be potential guests for you on your show, come on out. What a great way to get exposure. Be sure to check it out on my website at camilehman.com as well as follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Whatever is your favorite platform, we will have registration there. You do need to register to attend and it is on Zoom. So super simple, just one hour every other Wednesday. We start on May 4th, so don't miss out. Get registered today. We can't wait to see you there. You have moved from fighting cancer to discovering how to live beyond it. But what now? With so many emotional side effects still unknown, as a new survivor, you find yourself in a void as you navigate through the isolation, fear, and an uncertain future that can overshadow you and your family for years to come. Instead of focusing on the uncertainty of cancer, Consider how strong and determined you are and think of the strength demonstrated by those who stood beside you through it all. Consider this. You now get to choose who you want to be and what your intentional, fulfilled life can look like. You made it through treatment. We can help you define yourself as a survivor. We're here to help you through this moment, to walk beside you as you shift your mindset from counting the days of life to creating a legacy. For more information, visit www.adventuretherapyfoundation.org or contact us at info at adventurefound.org. Oh my gosh, Gina. So, you know, on <laughs> She's Invincible, we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce entrepreneurs and we're going to share their expert zone of genius. You have done that so beautifully today. I just I just am so impressed and honored to have you here. I'm impressed by the work that you do and the impact that you're making in the world for everyone, not you know, not just for one group, for all the people. Uh this this is really um a ripple effect that you know, your passion for photography turned into this big huge thing that's changing the world on such a huge level. Um, but we're not done because <laughs> we promise our listeners that while we're spotlighting these fierce entrepreneurs, that we're going to pull back the curtain 
And we're going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly part of the journey. See, people look at you and think, oh, she's so courageous. She's so beautiful. She's so smart. She speaks so well. She's well-rounded. Wow. She's got this DE and I under control, right? They're all thinking these things of you and they're thinking she's so lucky. And so mm -hmm. we want to show them that this is nothing about luck, that this is about the journey. This is about the decisions that we make along the way. It's about the way that we face obstacles and overcome them and never give up. So are you ready to tell some fun stories about your journey? <laughs> Yes, definitely. Thank Let's you very much. Do it. I like we, it. I love it. <laughs> and we don't let anybody get away. <laughs> so let's start with the good. Tell us a story about the good or the greatest part of your journey so far. I would say the good thing of this journey is that you get to be a constant dancer of life and an artist with a white canvas. And, and that's really how I see it. You know, I... I'm dancing constantly different rhythms. I feel a bit like the sea also, no? Like, I mean, that movement, I, I, that dancer, that white canvas of exploration. And, and I think that for me is a goodness of this journey is that you, you have that freedom to keep dancing to the different rhythms of life and exploring and, and these white canvas, no? Of saying, okay, I move in this direction. I'm dancing in this rhythm. And what, does the, what would I put in this canvas? What, when I want to express what I want to do, what I want to share. Uh, and I'm very visual and I'm creative. So I do need that. And I love dancing. So that makes us being great in this journey that, that I have that freedom, you know, to, to dance with life and, and create the, the different canvas or different chapters, whatever you want to call it. But that I would say is a good, you get that to be a so constant beautiful. artist and dancer in life. <laughs> yes. That's so beautiful. What a beautiful way to express that as well. Like just, all of it. And, and I think life should be that way. Right. But too many of us are, are limiting ourselves. All right. Well, that was fun and so beautiful. So now we're going to tell a story about the bad. We'll save the ugly for last, but tell us a story about the bad part of the journey. I think the bad part for me, it's been the answer. Like, you know, the moments where you're in crisis and like, listen, as you say, I started at an early a stage and made this my life my purpose and i had this commitment with the, the mission and my team you know and the people who follow you and support you so i think that responsibility sounds great but sometimes it can become a burden when it becomes so difficult and you're in crisis and you don't even know if you're gonna have enough money to you know pay the salaries to keep going so that tension is the one that i i it's I would say it's been bad in my journey as an entrepreneur, as, as this dancer of life is that sometimes it's like, ah, oh, this, this, this can be heavy responsibility and, and it brings stress and, and uncertainty in that way. You know, uh, that for me has been kind of the bad side is like, if I had that magical one that I didn't have to carry this responsibility constantly with not knowing if I remember there was really years I was like, I, I don't have enough money to pay the rest of the year. And I don't know how I'm going to get the money to pay the salaries, you know, because I have all this amazing team that is sharing my dream, my mission, and how am I going to do it? So looking back, that definitely, I would say that the bad, the downside of the entrepreneurial side of social impact, you know, is like, I don't have enough money to close the year. And I, and I have all these people looking for, you know, this admiration, respect, I support you. Wow. And I want to be part of this. I'm like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> that is a lot of pressure, right? And that comes, yeah. I think all entrepreneurs experience that 
one or more times, I'm going to say that in their journey because the ebbs and flows, right? So it, it tends to be that way, but you were really young when you, you know, decided to do this. And I can't imagine being that young and having that much responsibility, but look at you. I mean, you could have been like, this is too hard. I give up, but your passion kept you going and, and led you to, to continue and make impact. That's just unbelievable. So I love that though. And thank you for your honesty. So the last part here is the ugly. So we all have ugly parts of our journey and it's always hard to pick which story we want to share, right? Like, it's like, you know, there's usually more ugly than there is good for a really long time. And then once it goes good, it stays good. So, but you've got to, you've got to navigate all of that. And uh, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Nobody remembers the girl who gave up. And but these things sometimes can pressure us to want to give up. And sometimes I look at them as a test, like this is just a test. Am I going to pass this test or not? (laughs) And so tell us a story, the ugly story uh, that you're ready to share today about your journey. Well, as you say, they were like different ones. I was like, oh, okay, this is, could be part of the ugly, part of the other one. And, and, and I think it really starts off we're only human, you know? And of course, we, we have the ugly stories. And and I think it's a mix. So one story, really, as as you get this role, this character you become, you no, know, when you're fighting for these causes, whatever, whatever it may be, but in this case, I think sometimes you get lost in into your personal life and your mission in life. So that I think it can get a bit ugly, that it can become very lonely and it can just kind of lose track over things. So I think that one part of saying, I re- who am I beyond the, the character, meaning this task I take, you know? I, I, so keeping that equilibrium, uh, because if not, it gets ugly in the way that one gets lost about who am I holistically, you know, at a personal level, so it doesn't get a lonely journey. So. I think that for me, because also as, as you go and you just make the cause and you're, what you're passionate, whatever you're dry, driven, no, your enterprise, if you're changing the world or whatever you, you decide, yeah. I, then it becomes personal, whatever happens. No? And, and I remember a few moments that that's part of the ugly side is when you're fighting for something and then the competitors, and, because, and I put it like that, in quotes, <laughs> because apparently in the NGO world or in the social good, there's no bad but of course there is a competitor there and then we lose the whole mission and i think that's when it gets really ugly because it's like you know we're all here for a mission this is not for but it becomes personal because you get lost of saying this is my whole world no and and suddenly like what's going on and and i think that's very crucial that it can get ugly when we get lost on who are we beyond our enterprise our cause because of course we're going to fail and there's going to be mistakes and when that happens if we're not clear of who we are beyond our role our character our mission it could really hit back so in my in my case i had to work at that point of in one moment where i was like who am i beyond this now no what if i'm I'm transitioning into something new and am i going to disappear suddenly am i going to be this invincible you know not invincible but invisible because suddenly i i I'm getting lost in the ugly of the, the, you know, the spotlight or the expectations of the others or what the others need. So I think understanding who we are and integrating our cause, our passion for our enterprise 
it's important, but not to take, let one take over the other one because it gets ugly if we, if we don't have that aligned, you know, the, the personal and your passion for whatever professional, as an entrepreneur, as a change maker. No, I think it's about the human being holistically and remind ourselves that if it gets really ugly, we're not the cause or we're not the label or we're not the title. We're much more. Uh, but I do feel it can get ugly when we mix that. <laughs> oh, I love that so much because we do, like I used to find myself saying in coaching, you know, we are not the house we live in, the job we go to, the the amount of money in our bank account, the vacations we take, the cars we drive. And yet we do absorb all of those things and it becomes who we are. Do you just, uh, because you're saying this, I know that you've mm -hmm. had your own experiences. What are some tips that you could say to our listeners to help them keep that divided, that they're not, they don't become who, you know, what the job they're doing or this, this work they're doing in the world? I would say one that has helped me is to make sure we have the support system of people who knew you from when you were younger and before you had your enterprises or your role, no, that you, the different roles. So, I mean, make sure you have those key people, those friends from when you were younger, your family that can keep you down to earth. Um, I remember when I became a young global leader from the World Economic Forum, I was 30 years old. And I remember very well when I got the news, I got a letter. And my reaction was I turned around to my loved one, to my team. And I said, the moment I lose myself and I start going like a balloon, believing, you know, you have all you know, like all the permission authority to bring me down and say, what the heck? You're Gina, you're human. And this is who you know where we're going. So I think practically kind of preparing the system because we're only human and sometimes we're going to be really blinded and exposed by all that so that was one that practically i said okay i need my support system because i'm human I, and i make get lost so I, who's gonna come and say hey remember, come on back to yeah, us girl come on back to us <laughs> right um the other one that i tend to do a lot is the right to a letter to yourself uh, as as a person you know and making sure I, I write to Gina as Gina and Gina from my inner child to the woman, but more from a, that loving and human part. Depend, it doesn't depend uh, depend on the roles and the expectations. It's about who am I when I look myself at the mirror? Who is this woman that I'm loving, I'm caring, and I'm hugging? You know, so kind of have that in system in place to write a like a letter of who are you and what do you love about yourself beyond any role. Uh, I think for me, that's been really helpful to just kind of say that the roles and all those labels is not what defines me. It's part of my mission and my roles and my responsibility. But this is this is the whole thing. no? Um, so that that also helped me. Those two has helped me when it gets ugly and I'm getting a bit lost. And obviously what I can say, I'm also a coach. I value coaching. I would not be here without my coaches that help me remind myself of what I have, how I can be resourceful, intelligent, creative, that I don't have to go on my own. So allow those vulnerable moments not to just be yourself and, and ask the questions uh, and ask for the help we need. I think yes. that for me has been really helpful to remind myself I'm only human, you know. All the other things, I'll make the most of them. And I believe life throws you the opportunities, experiences, the people. To, but, um, but that's not what defines us. The roles, they're part of our story. but. I think it's, it's listening to hearts, our mind and our intuition and keep it aligned. I think for me, that's been very helpful. 
so beautiful. Oh my gosh, Gina, this has been the most amazing conversation with you today. I thank you so much for sharing so much with our listeners. And before we say goodbye, I would love for you to finish the sentence for me. So the sentence is the world would be a better place if more people knew blank. You fill in the blank for us. Okay. If more people, the world would be a better world if more people knew how to love themselves and belong rather than feeding. Oh my gosh. Mic drop. There's your mic drop for the day. You guys reach out to Gina, Gina Badenoff. All the links are in the show notes. Oh, so much here. So much here. Uh, Don't miss out. Click the link and reach out to her today and keep this conversation going. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us, for tuning in today to this amazing conversation. And I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up. You can do it. Tell them, Gina. Yes, no, definitely. Dance in life. I tell you, dance in this rhythm. If you're, there's always, that's the beauty of the movement. It's not flat. Like, I mean, if we're down, it's going to go up, up and down. So I would say just move, no, move in your own rhythm. I love it. Get up and dance, you guys. You can do it. Just get back up. Thank you for joining us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please follow the show, submit a rating and review and share us with your friends. If you would like to chat to see if you can attract your ideal client and monetize your business through podcasting, please book a free call with me at camilehman.com. I can't wait to meet you.